Hey, fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Today, I have a special guest, Fabrice Subaro, who is a tennis performance analyst. He's worked with some top players in the world, and I'm very keen to talk to him about his job and how data it changes tennis and it affects the sport and how you can learn from data and, and all the stats that come into tennis. Uh, how, hi, Fabrice. How are you? Hi, pretty fine. What about you? No, I'm good. I'm good. It's a rainy day here in, in Spain, but, uh, you know, no tennis today, sadly, but at least I get some interesting conversations. Good. And you have a lot of uh, people here now playing uh, in the off-season. So we have uh, Muguruza, we have Djokovic, we have uh, Dan Evans, uh, full of, of ATP and WTA good. pros now uh, playing. So how did you get started in this field of data and, and AI and, and stats? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I started with data... 15 years ago, and it was in 2007. So uh, first, I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a former tennis coach. Now I say former because uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I mean, a bit with my daughter, to be honest, but almost no coaching anymore. But so I was a former tennis coach who wanted to be on the tour. That was yeah. my dream when I was 20 years old. Um, so 20 years old, it was in 2000, let's say. And in 2007, so like six, seven years after I started my career, my young career, I thought that data could add something to my coaching because I was not a former professional player myself. And I, th and I thought that if I don't have an extra weapon, um, it's going to be tough for me to make it. I was conscious of um, it was much more difficult for non-professional players to make it as coach than professional. So that was the first thing. And then uh, I just fell in love with numbers, to be honest with you. I just fell in love with the logic I could get with numbers. So this is how I started in 2007, I would say. And how has uh, numbers changed the game? Because I think uh, players used to prepare for matches with like VHS tapes. You know, they used to see, okay, my opponent, he, he does mm. this, but they had no data at all. Like they just could see some patterns of play with their coach. Uh, how do you, how has numbers changed the, the sport for the, for the top players? Uh, I mean, yes, now for the top players, yeah, yeah, of that's the thing. We before, I mean, let's say that just to, to take a bit of the history of statistics, uh, nobody believed in statistics until more or less 2019. I mean, when I say nobody, I would say the big majority, let's say mm -hmm. 99, 98 percent of the people or the players and the coaches until 2019, that's when I started, didn't believe in stats. So uh, before, uh, when you talked about the videotapes and everything, it was uh, coaching based on belief. Yeah, I believe that he's going to do that. I believe that uh, the slice is working. I believe whatever because or because Roger Federer is doing like this, it's going to work for everyone. That was the the global mindset of what I call belief mindset, and um, now we we are changing this mindset more and more from 2019, I would say, into this scientific belief where where we think that numbers can help explaining more the strengths and weaknesses of a player so of the opponent of my players and uh, of course it confirms sometimes what we believe but also sometimes it gives us it gives us more information for instance i mean to to know that the the opponent is better with the forehand and the backhand return uh, without analyzing, let's say, 300 first serve and to see the numbers he got on both sides is pretty complicated. And sometimes it could be 5% difference. Let's say you win 35% of the points when you return with the forehand versus 30% with the backhand. So for us, this 5% difference is important because it can give us, or give, not, not us, give 
the team I'm working with, maybe one or two more points per match. So this is how this is how I think it changed. Now we, we are much more conscious that one or two points difference can make a huge difference at the end of the season. Before, no, everything was believed. You know, another thing, if I ask, still now, still now, if I ask someone like, what do you think is the percentage of points won by your top 10? What, what would be your, your, your first answer? Maybe you know the answer, but what, what, would, what would it be more or less? Yeah, sorry, the, the, how many points were? Yeah, if you take a, a, a total season of a, of a top 10, Mm. He played all the points he played during 2022 season, for instance, and you put on one side the points he won, on the other side the points he lost, with the serve, with the return, with whatever. What do you think is the percentage of points won he won at the end of the season? I guess it would be a little bit more than 50, so like 55 or something. Yeah, uh, it's 52. Oh, oh, that's small. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. that's it. That's very. That, so that's to now people start to get conscious. Then a top 10 win. 52% of the point. 53 is a top five, let's say, top four, five. And 54, 55, it's a legend. It's Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. Murray was, I think, 53.5. So, you know, so it's just to explain that with that, we can start explaining, arguing that if we find something that gets you overall 0.5% more points, you can become from 50 in the world to 35. Yeah. So, and but before, let's say before 2019, when we have belief, they, I mean, they didn't see the numbers and, and they thought that I would, I would ask the coach back then, they would say 60% of the points, a top 10 or 65, I heard when I was. Oh, talking. wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a big difference. And now the reality is 52, 53, 54. And we're talking about the best of the best players in the world. So the margin between the best and the rest is very small. And with statistics, we can work on these small details for match preparation and also for players optimization because we have to know that statistics is used for two things the match preparation uh, scouting of the opponent let's say and also the performances of the player i work with so this is two things and these two things together we believe now so now i would estimate like 25 to 30 percent of the players are using people like me on tour now these people believe that we can make a small difference with the numbers and before no but still yeah. growing we're not 100 we don't right now 70 percent of the players are not using us or maybe no, I, less. Can... I don't know the, 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 the latest numbers just an estimation yeah, yeah exactly but i think it's so you think it's it's a pretty new thing that the players also starting to see it like because okay. I, I i see it with everything i think i see it with racket optimization how you work with coaches changing coaches that's it's more frequent people change coaches more frequently it seems like so the players are more uh, aware of just changing everything to get that extra edge and then obviously data becomes a huge thing in that yeah. I, I guess i mean i would not compare uh the change of coaches that we can see on the wta uh with the stats i, I because i think it's totally different things i mean the, I, for me my point of view as a coach the more you change coach the more you change of coach the, the more lost you are. And, and, the, and the biggest result where, when you were doing long-term with the coach, if we take Nadal, if we take Federer, if we take now uh, Felix with Fred, uh, Roger with Severin, it's long-term. And yeah. if we take on the other side, Raducanu changing five times coach this year, uh, being 17 in the world. So, I mean, I, I'm not, I would not take the, the, these, these two change. But, but now that people like me and other people like me, people studying the sleep, people studying other things, other studies, 
it's getting more and more important because we 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 got conscious that a small detail can change your your season. Yeah. Uh, no, it's and like and a Formula One car, right? Exactly. We're getting closer to this kind of mindset, and I think in the years to come, it's going to be even more. Uh, racket optimization is exactly the same process. String optimization, same. Uh, we want to optimize every detail, and statistics is totally part of that process. For yeah. me, it's a big part because we just analyze. It's not only strategy; it's also players' development. It it goes both ways, and it's getting more and more famous. So, uh, no, I had to wait twelve years to be you know. So it's been fifteen years. I do stats for twelve years. People were telling me, Fabrice, it's useless what you do, and now for three years, I, I'm just rising uh, with a bunch of guys like me because now people say that it's it's useful. So that's the trend. I would say that's the 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 trend at the moment on on the market on the tennis world. Do players use the statistics also just to optimize their own game, or do you they use it mainly to look at how they can beat their next opponent? Because I know uh, they're like you can get data on like how does this guy or girl play, yeah. and how can I optimize my game towards beating this person I'm playing in like tomorrow. And but it's also this long term, like where am I weak? You know, I'm I'm missing too many, you know, second serves or or making them too easy for my opponent, for example. So uh, to be honest, because I, I'm working with like I worked and I am working with more than twenty players, so now I, I can see more or less what is the the tendency. Uh, I'm working with people; they just want the stats for match preparation. Definitely, it's strategy, pure strategy. And when I when I send them the stats report. They say, oh, thanks, Fab. But we never talked about it. You know, so it's like, I know that they want to improve. They want to know, they want me to scout the opponent in order to get an edge here. And yeah. I have the other profile where the players like, match preparation is like, they don't really mind, but they want to know all the performances of the player because they want to optimize the player match per match. So I had these two extreme. I'm still giving the ser both service for all my players. But I could clearly see that some of them were taking more the first option and the other one the second option. And and an an important point about that is like it's we're not only delivering stats. My my job is not only to give stats, is to adapt to my clients to provide them the best service I can. And, and this is I think what makes for me the difference between me and maybe the other one in a, in a way, or, or some of the other one is like uh, the adaptation I have with my clients. I think it's one of my strengths. My stats is good, maybe not the best on the market, but good. But my adaptation and my social skills and my interpretation of the stats is my strength, uh, I think. Do you work mainly with the coach or or straight to some players? Because I guess a lot of them is like the coach wants to find a way to optimize and the player just listens to the coach and goes with what they're suggesting. Well, how is that process for you? Uh, so once again... Uh, from one one project to another one, it's totally different. So I, I will give you two examples. Uh, with one project with the top 10, uh, I work only with the coach. Mm. So this is the coach. And if the coach filtered the information to the player, actually with the two top 10 I worked, uh, guys, ATP, uh, and still working, by the way, uh, I go through the coach and the coach analyzes my data and he knows how to get my data to the players the best way he thinks. Uh, then I have a, another case, which is a mix. Let's say for one girl uh, I worked with, which is top 30, uh, I can even say her name, uh, Marie Buskova. Uh, it's a mix. It's a mix. It's uh, like the match preparation I sent to her directly, but I also sent to the coach. 
but I know that if she has questions, she will go directly to me. So we have this, this let's say, connection about the match preparation together, but also with the coach, of course. And um, but no, for, for her, it would be like this. And for instance, with another player, right now I'm starting with another player. Maybe I cannot mention the name. He's also top th top 40. Uh, it goes that 100% with the player. The player wants to know everything about statistics. Oh, cool. So, yeah. so I, th that's the first one. I have that that interested in statistics. I mean, for him, he, he thinks only with statistics, this player. So we, we can talk exactly the same language. Uh, and I go, I mean, of course, the coach has a role. I'm not, I'm not the coach. But in that part of statistics, I will have uh, more, uh, maybe the 100% of this part will be me. Like maybe with the coach from the top 10, they filter my information. And, and maybe with this player, I'm going to have more importance in that field. But still, I'm not the coach. Then he has a coach and they do they work on the things we talk together. I'm not working on the... I mean, if I tell you that your serve wide is not good enough, let's say, I'm not going to be the one working on it. It's going to be the coach. But they, then I can give explanation based on my studies. I say, usually when a serve wide is not effective, it's because of this, this, and this. And then yeah. I can say, look at this guy is doing like this and he's doing it good. This guy is doing it not good and he's doing so this I can explain. But then when we talked about coaching on court, this is where my 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 job totally stopped. Even though I was a coach, I don't want to be a coach anymore. My my, my work is finished when I explain my numbers. Then they can take it hundred percent like this player or hundred percent the coach. This is not uh, my problem. They they decide. I adapt to them. So yeah, exactly. So the, the relationship obviously has to work with both the player and the coach, because I guess if the coach disagrees with the, the data read, which I guess can happen, and the player takes the information, he's going to get confused. He's going to get two different like sources of answers. So yeah. you obviously need to align, I guess, with with all the yeah. whole team, you know, in a way. But you know, the, this generation of coach that uh, hire us, I mean, that's the player paying, but they hire us, the coach, because it starts with the coach. The coach find an interest in us. So they believe in the numbers. So yeah. if I tell them it's 65%, it's not going to come to me. No, Fabrice, it's 62. It's 65%. I'm just stupidly crossing in, out, in, out. I'm not doing nothing magic. So they, they, they believe in that. Then an interpretation is an interpretation. We cannot agree on interpretation. I can tell them, oh, usually this is what happened. And they tell me, in my case, with my player, this is like this. And I say, fair enough. I mean, as long as you find, I mean, all the time I say like this, uh, stats is a skeleton and you put the flesh that you want. The interpretation is the flesh. And together with a solid skeleton of the stats plus the flesh, uh, you, can, you can make a really good job with it. So the coach for me is putting his flesh and I'm totally fine with that. He's the one in charge. And if the player wants to put his flesh to the skeleton I put with my stats, perfect. I have to adapt to them. I don't control them. They control me. But I yeah. control my stats. You know what I mean? Like I control my stats. I know what I'm doing. I know my studies. I know everything. But then I deliver what I have to deliver to them. And they are totally in charge. And that's the way it has to be. I'm not a coach. I'm here to help them. Yeah. No, I think it makes sense. And do you think there is a difference depending on the player's style, for example, like how open they are to, to data? Like a player like Djokovic, you could see like he plays kind of chess on the tennis court. Yeah. He plays a lot of like smart shots uh, really thinks about what he's doing with these different patterns and so on and then you have players maybe like Federer or Musetti or players are a bit more flamboyant that it looks like it's yeah. less data going on or less thinking about data do you see that that difference in in styles as well I totally agree I totally agree yeah depending on your style uh, I mean the mindset of 
liking or loving the numbers for a player coach is the same, disregarding the game style. But then the way we use them uh, is different. Let's say if I use that uh, for a counter puncher, counter puncher, they love strategy. So some of the counter puncher, there are two kinds of counter puncher, by the way, because I have an example for that. One counter puncher is going to love the stats, going to take everything from the stats because he wants to know all the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the opponent. And another counter puncher, because he knows already by himself, sometimes they can be a game stats. So, you know, a game style sometimes can go both. Uh, I, I can have, let's say that maybe Roger is an instinctive player, but maybe he likes to know where to serve a bit more. Now we're talking about not, let's say, if if your 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 opponent is a bit weaker wide than T, we're not talking about serving only wide, but maybe 55% wide, 45% T. And maybe this kind of player, even if he's instinctive, he likes to know it, but then his instinct's going to make it adaptation during the match. There are players who adapt during the match and instinctive, I, I will instinct, and the other one who do not adapt. I think the best match is like you start with the numbers, the tendency, and then you adapt to them with your instinct. But then there could be many things working. I mean, and, and also we don't have to, to forget that it's new to work with data, with match preparation. This is new. So some player will adapt quickly and other one will never adapt. We, we, we need to see the next generation with numbers because now let's say we, we arrived in 2019. In 2019, let's say many players were already 28, 29, 30. They made let's say 70%, 80% of the career without stats. So they, they can tell us, guys, I I, I, say, I won Roland Garros without your stats. I don't need it. So, you know, it all depends on, on everyone, but the mindset and the game style can affect the stats definitely, but also the mindset, not only the game style. Do you think that the younger generation will be almost like that it's a natural thing for them to use stats more than, than, than the older players? Definitely. I mean, I mean, and our prospect, to be honest, my goal is to sign young, more young players than old players. The old players, I mean, I, I work with a couple of, let's say, old players, more than 30. It, it is, I mean, <laughs> once again, no, I work with one guy who's over 30 years old and he, he's, and he came to me and said, oh, I believe in stats 100% I want to work with. But maybe if you if you work with Benoit Père, uh, Kyrgios, but Kyrgios is not thirty. But they're going to tell you I don't give a I don't mind about your stats. So, but but still, my goal uh, is to work, start working with younger that we can also work on long term with younger players. Also, something that we have to know is the more matches I have from the players. Let's say if I start working with a player who is twenty now, when he's going to reach thirty, I will have ten years of his stats. I will know all the evolution. I will know every time you face this player, every time you face this kind of player, that's the number you have. For, for instance, for one of my clients, uh, we do the, the match preparation only based on the history of the two players. So he played this guy two times, what happened in these two matches, and we take it to prepare the next match. Maybe for, the, for another player, it's, it will be different. But the more matches I have from the player, the more effective I will become. So the, 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 the younger they start with stats, the, the, the bigger is going to be the benefit. Interesting, yeah. Do, do you think that this will change tennis in a way, like how you see it be played? Because, I mean, if you look at, at different styles, you have the, the flamboyant players that I talked about, but you also have more players like Medvedev and Djokovic that play according to the stats. At least it looks like it. Uh, do you it think looks. that you will see more players like this, you know, in, in the future? It looks like it. 
in that case, I, I mean, I'm well placed. It looks like it. Because uh, I told you that there are this kind of counterpuncher and yeah. they have the strategy in, in, in their self. They, they feel the game in a way that we don't understand because they are master in that. Yeah. And for this kind of player, uh, maybe they don't really like statistics. So statistics, we have to find a way uh, to give them to give them the stats without that they know we give them the stats because it has to come from them. Um, so sorry, sorry, I, I forgot the question, by the way, because I went into this, uh, this example that made me laugh a bit. No, no. I mean, like, do you think that we will see that the playing style of tennis change a bit? Like, will there be more players that go into a certain style because it's a more data-driven way to play yes. uh, than, than in the past, for example? We will, we will, definitely. I mean, we can already see it with the, with the, with the technique. L look at the technique in the 90s. Look at the technique now. I mean, now the technique are much more similar from one player to another one than in the 90s. And especially in Sweden, if you look at the technique of all the top 10 players you had in Sweden, the, the forehand of Magnus Gustafsson, then um, the forehand of uh, Estefan Edberg, and then the back end of Jim Courier, uh, from, and then the, the, the game style of Agassi, it was technically was, and then Pete Sampras, it was all different. Now we, we, we go into something much more uh, for the same. We Optimized, have yeah. Yeah. So I think that with stats and strategy, it will go this direction. It, I mean, this is the tendency of the world. I mean, if you go to any city in the world, I remember maybe the 90s, I could find the first McDonald's. Now I go to all the cities, I have McDonald's, I have this, I have this. I have all the brands. From, so we're going to something more, uh, what do you say, mondialization, we say? Yeah. So it, it will go the same tendency. So of course, stats will me make a revolution like it's doing at the moment. And then everybody is going to use it and it's going to influence the next gen that they're going to play more similar. I mean, of course, still we need to develop every game style, and 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 I'm you know I I I wrote a book about game style, uh, so this is my specialty. So I'm gonna for me each player is different, and has to be developed in a different way. But still, we have things that are universal tendency. Tennis is a surf plus one game that we want it or not. Sixty four percent of the shots are below five shots. It's tennis. It's nothing to do with me. So if we don't respect that. Um, some players cannot maybe not make it top 100. So so for me, it, my, my philosophy has always been that we have to respect the player's game style and we have to respect what is universal, what, what works for the majority of the people. And together, we can find maybe the, the best optimization for the player. Do you think that, I mean, when I'm asked that the playing style is quite interesting because like you have very few guys like... Uh serving volleying today obviously because the, the game is, is so different it's much easier to to defend and and pass them or you have Cressy for example who, who's playing quite different and it's always fun to watch players that play very differently uh, do you think there's a risk that there will be more people that play kind of like bot style tennis like we will see tennis become more boring because players will play mm. like they will be too good at everything so it will yeah. be very hard to to have these different styles it's so it's I mean if if you analyze a bit the top ten with with I mean with still a, a lot of respect with the players in the top ten it's already boring, I mean to be honest with you Medvedev Zverev, uh, Pass, I mean even Pass, I mean his game is, is not boring but his personality is a bit I mean a bit boring it's not me saying I mean I just listening to the game so we are already entering something boring and Djokovic is boring by the way to be honest I mean I mean then it doesn't remove the fact that they are exceptional, that I, I like to watch them play, but it's already a bit boring to be. So 
it's it's longer rallies. I mean, that's the thing which is also a bit funny. Like we're talking a lot about the circus one, but in the top ten, the rallies over five shots are very very important to make the extra difference. So, uh, so do so do I think that they're gonna be more players? I think the servant volley can come back if you master it perfectly. Yeah. But but, but, no, but you know, also there's, there's, there is something political. I mean, let's say that, I'm just giving an example. Let's say that in 2024 or 25, they say, oh, we agree to accelerate the surface again because we, we slow the surface down. Yeah, yeah, and bolts and everything. Yeah. Oh, by slowing everything down, uh, we, we give less chance to over-aggressive players to be good. But let's say that we go the other way around again. And in 2026, now it goes, I'd say, 20, 30% faster, all the surface, even the clay, because they put whatever. So as a consequence, we're going to have more servant volleyers maybe in the top 100, because they will have an edge with the servant, the volley to do it on the faster surface. So, you know, there are things also which has nothing to do with game style, which has nothing to do with, like, political... uh, they changed the game because they wanted it this way, uh, slower. And I understand it because also, to be honest with you, when there was a lot of server, I mean, it's exciting to see Cressy play now because he's the only one. Yeah. But honestly, I've been analyzing all the top 10 in the history of tennis. When you're in the 90s, when you have two servant volleyers play, playing each other and you see 15 match in a row of Stitch versus Becker, Stitch versus Sampras, Sampras versus Edberg, it's boring. It is, or Cash. It, it's boring. I mean, it, yeah, it's boring. I, I agree. It's all the I, same thing. I think it's the the contrast in tennis that makes the the beauty of the sport. Like you you have servant volley playing a counter puncher. When you have two very solid baseliners, we talked about. I mean, Djokovic, Medvedev were mentioned, yeah. for example. It it gets mundane in a way that they've, the rallies are very similar. Like they they and they both will play within their safety margin all the time, kind of. Yeah. Uh, so the interesting part is having having different styles. And for me. I was a, I'm a bit surprised. I think it, it's one of the beauties of tennis that the surfaces are different. So, for example, mm-hmm. if you have a very fast court, that's good for certain players, and that's fine. You know, so you, you can have very fast conditions, you can have very slow conditions, and that yeah. we should be fine with this because it makes tennis richer as a sport. And then you will have different players be successful on different seasons. You know, but now it's it's been like it. They really made all the courts and surfaces and balls play as close in history of tennis as possible, I would say. Exactly. And, and that might have changed the, the sport in a way. But that can also, like you said, it could be changed back. So it could be, uh, you know. Why not? Because they could say that, oh, we want to see more diversity. We want to see more uh, outsiders winning a slam, winning Wimbledon. Because I don't know if you remember, there was a guy, a German guy, was I think Alexander Pop, And he made, I think, two quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Nobody knew him. But yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, yeah, maybe two times in a row, and, and that was maybe the story of the tournament. And of course, if we if we put everything together, we're going to have more or less always the same player reaching the same because that's the, they don't have really to adapt the game. So it it might change. This is something I mean I don't control, but who knows? Maybe the people with more power than us on the ATP uh, WTA maybe is going to try to change that to make tennis more attractive. Because anyway, ATP and WTA are companies and what they want is to sell. That we can yep. say whatever we want, they want to sell. So if they think that it's going to be more sellable to change the surface, we're going to change. If they think that's going to be better to have this, they're going to... So money-wise, money deciding a lot uh, in this world. I mean, bad or I'm, I think it's good or bad. But uh, there are things we don't control and, and affect much more what we think of the top 100. 
So that's yeah. the, that's the, what I like about it. I like the logic. So it, it affects much more than what we think. True. No, no, money is always a driver, of course. And do you think the tennis world can use stats in a way to make the game more exciting to watch, for example? Like, can they illustrate stats during a match in a way that you actually learn a bit about what's happening on yes. the court, what they don't do today, for example? Yeah, I think that that's the goal of the ATP. And we're going to have more. I mean, already at the Australian Open, if you see, they have a lot of stats. So they try to, to do stats for fun, let's say. And every year they're improving. So uh, one of the goal, of course, I'm not saying that's, that's the only goal, but they're going to use stats to, to, to make it more entertainment. To, that we, so they, that, that's one, and I know that's one of the goals they have for the next season. Still, it's going to be basic stats because it's for, it's for the fan. Uh, so it doesn't change my job, by the way, but uh, we, it's going to be, I think we're going to have more stats in the future for at every degree, uh, amateur, for coach, uh, for fan. So this is something yes and and also i just want to talk about one thing now because um also about stats i, I mean i made this uh stats internet site which explain all the players with statistics so this is also for a fan who starts to like stats or even a coach who, who wants to know let's say how whatever agassi medvedev or djokovic play what was his strengths and weaknesses based on stats and and this is something also that we, I mean, I'm doing it also that we want to give more stats to everyone uh, to to promote. I mean, it's still, I mean, my site is still to promote stats in the world that we, we think that, oh, it's worth watching. So also I have this tennis profiler stats where we, where we explain all the players with statistics. So, I mean, so it's coming. So it's coming in the Grand Slam, even me, I'm doing it. So th this is something which is coming. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, for tennis, we need more people to play tennis, more people to watch tennis. That's uh, yeah. that's our field. Do you do you think that like um, uh, an advanced or let's say intermediate club player can use stats in their game, or is it like mainly for the professionals? Uh, I mean, uh, I wrote this book about game style, and th this book was supposed for to be used by all uh, competitors. Let's mm. say competitors. If you start tennis with the red ball or you know, the, the green ball, it's not any effect. But as, as soon as you start to compete in tournaments, so it's amateur level still, my book could be useful. So And my book is based on uh, stats studies about game styles. So I think, yes, stats can be used um, at every any degree uh, from amateur to professional. Then it's going to be used differently. Maybe an amateur do not need to have all the details. But, but still, if we can, with stats, give him a clear picture of his game style. You know, my, my book is just to give you, to, to define your game style. If you say, oh, I am a retriever. Oh, I'm a counterpunch. Oh, I am a, an offensive player. Then you have an identity. And then I give advice based on your identity. And as I told you, they are advised based on who you are as a game style. And they are also advised based on universal uh, tennis things right? like uh, if you go to the net with your forehand you're going to win more points than if you that's or if you vary your first serve if you serve as many times wide and t on average you're going to win more points so there are tendencies like this that's for everyone more or the majority and there are things about uh, your own game style as i said previously and i think that these things um can be useful at any level 
Do you, do you think that the, talking about game styles, do you think that personality and game style are usually linked? Like in a way that if you're a very extrovert person, usually more of an attacking player, or if you're more of an introvert, you're a defensive player, mm. just as an example, or is it completely um, just happening from from just playing and seeing what works or or what is, how is game style defined usually for, for the player? Yeah, I would have told you yes at the beginning, but then with experience, I would say, I would say no. Uh, because it's two different things, uh, but sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, yeah. and still, you, you you have, let's say, let's take the counter puncher. For me, there's two kind of counter puncher, and I will take Milman and Medvedev. Uh, for me, Medvedev is the is the artist counter puncher, so he very instinctive in his way of counter punching, and if he decides it on break point to do seven volley, he's gonna do it on instinct, and then you have the Milman counter puncher. Who's gonna do the same thing from the first to the to the last day of the year? Uh, that that's how I feel it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, we have the same game style. We don't have the same mindset. One's in an artist, and the and the other one is a hard worker. Let's say if we can, if we can. So we can have the same thing maybe on each game style. So your personality is your personality linked to your game style, in a way, yes, but maybe no, because maybe a tall player like Medvedev, we could say, oh, you told you should do seven volley. Or you should do very aggressive early in the rallies because you're tall. But a tall player that moved well like him could pay the longer rallies. So I would say that more the game style is linked to your fitness abilities. Let's say that if if you if your height is one one meter sixty or seventy, you are small. I mean, you will never be. I mean, you can optimize your serve, and it's advised to optimize your serve. But you will never be a good server. Sorry. I mean, it's very difficult when you're 170 to make a high ratio of aces service winner, mm. which means that it's going to be difficult to be a server. It's going to be difficult to attack many balls on serve plus one because your serve doesn't give you easy return. So if you are small, short, of course, you, you have much more chances to be a retriever, a counter puncher, or with a good technique, you can be what I call a tempo player or a puncher. Tempo player will be more taking the ball on the rise close to the baseline and puncher hitting with top spin with the forehand or single-handed backhand. So I think that uh, your heights, more than your mindset, can define your game style. And second thing, where you were born. I mean, if I am bored right now, the same Fabrice born in Argentina, the same Fabrice born in Sweden and in France and in, in the USA, can totally affect my game style. Argentina, I say, okay, play with top spin, high with top spin. That, that's what they used to say a lot. Maybe now a bit less because Schwarzman is playing closer to the baseline. Uh, if I'm in France, they say, they say variety. So you have to do slides, you have to come to the net, you have to do a clean technique, but clean technique with not a lot of top spin. Then you go to Spain is another mindset. So the same me born in another country would affect my game style. Plus my fitness capacities, let's say if I'm tall, short, if I'm heavy or not, uh, will affect my game style. I, I and I would say that that affects the game style may, maybe as much as your mindset. Of course, the mindset affects it. If you are somebody very aggressive, let's say, but of course, you, you, you have more chances to attack a lot with your forehand uh, on your backhand. But then I go back to the, the last one, the technique. Let's say that I start, take, I start tennis at the age of four years old or I start tennis at the age of, of 30 years old. And I start at the age of four years old with a private coach or my father is a coach or I start the tennis at 30 years old playing against the world and I was a former soccer player. So the former soccer player of 30 years old 
will have absolutely a bad technique. So with a bad technique, what can you do in terms of game style? Counter punch, retrieve, which means you put all the ball in and you wait the other one to miss because you have a good fitness thanks to soccer. It happens a lot in this case huh, in Switzerland. We have a lot of former soccer player. And so they could be the most aggressive people in their mind. If they don't have the technique, they will, they will understand that they put all the ball in the fence. So you say, oh, in order to win a match because I like to win, I'm going to play um, retriever, counter puncher. Then we take the other example, like my daughter. My daughter, I started tennis with her at the age of four. With technique, forehand, backhand technique, using both hands. So I want her to have a perfect technique in my way of what I feel is a perfect technique. So she's going she's gonna to be strong hitting on both sides. So she's going to make more winners forcing errors on the forehand, on the backhand than average because she starts at four years old with the father as a coach. So, you know... I, it's difficult to, to, to tell that you're going to be this game style, that there are many factors explaining what you are. And that's what I love. I mean, by the way, that's what I love exploring. I love to, to try to find explanation to the things. And uh, so I would answer it like this to your question. It, it depends on the technique, where you were born, your mindset and your fitness, everything. And all together will make you a, a servant volleyer or, and also the time. Sorry, sorry. If you were born in the 90s or you were born in 2020, will totally influence your game style. Yeah, I, I think even the racket somehow influences your game style because if you start with a heavy racket, you will play a little bit more like shorter points, for example, yeah. small head size and so on. If you start with like a, a spin-oriented racket, you probably will use more topspin to control the racket. So uh, I, I completely agree that everything affects your, your game style. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that do you think it's... How beneficial is it for a player of any level to understand their game style, like to to really know, because I think a lot of players looking at, I mean, I also play with a lot of guys that have ex-pro footballers and that they joined tennis six, seven years ago and they can still play well, but like you said, they were pretty much all counter punchers. So I agree yeah, with yeah. this statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they're good players, good athletes, but it's like they, there's a technical limitation to what they can do with the ball, of course. Uh, so, but, but do you think that it's very beneficial to understand your game style and try to work with that because totally. some players are all over the place like you know and no, no, totally. it happens That's to everyone the most important thing and and the lower the level the less you know how you i mean then once again you can have these two the, the soccer player will understand quickly that to win a match he has to retrieve and counter punch so that, but let's say the 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 young players they need to find their identity they need to find it then the problem we have now or we had in the past maybe a bit less now is like some federation or some coach, they coach one way. You know, they, so if you go to this coach, he's going gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna to have a tendency to teach you to, co to go to the net. Then you, you go to this coach and you have a tendency to play with spin higher for, high above the net. So it, all the time, it, it's a bit complicated also for the players to find who is myself. Yeah. So and this is people working with me. I mean, even I also work with amateur and uh, lower. I mean, I used to work with amateur lower. My, my goal was to, 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 to teach them that's your game style. That's what you're going to be good at because your numbers goes in that direction. So play a bit more this, do a bit that, do that a bit less. But it's all the time, if you have a coach which is not open-minded, He's going to teach you only the same way of playing. You know, I have a good example for that because I used to, to, to work for academies. And, you know, I was starting maybe five players from the academy. They had, for, on some things, they had the same tendency. And I say, that's the tendency of the coach. 
And then I went to another academy and say, oh, this coach is coaching that because I can see on the three players the same thing. So once again, game style is also based on who you who you're coaching. And now the coaches, they're not that open-minded, not all of them. Uh, now I would say the, the coach on the tour are open-minded to stats, but still the local coach is not that open-minded to change. I mean, he's earning money uh, doing what he knows. He knows it well, maybe one game style. And why he, why he would like to change? His main priority is to gain money from tennis and to go back home and, and maybe do something else. And, and we have this problem with a lot of coaches. You know, they, they don't question themselves. So they're going to teach you the same thing or what they were taught. Mm. And uh, they're not going to respect your own game style. And I am against that. I always, every player I worked with as a coach were different. I had a servant volley. I had a retriever. I had a tempo player. I had a puncher. I had offensive. I have all the game style because every player I said, you should go here based on stats and based on what I think. And I could make the best out of them. And I think it's by far not the case in all the coaches now. At the higher level, yes, it's coming. At the lower level, not yet. But maybe a new generation of coach, maybe 25, 30 years old now, will do it. Maybe. I mean, I, I think yes. I think there's a hope. I think it's it's also depending on the personality because some players are always keen to improve. That's a human nature for some, but not for others. That you would like, okay, I want to evolve as a tennis coach because I love tennis. I love teaching players. I love seeing them improve. While some coaches are maybe, uh, without being too harsh, failed players, and they don't really love coaching, but it's a it's a job after tennis. Totally, good job. Yeah, so so they don't really go to their work. And I see this like when I travel around the world with to tennis clubs, I see that they're it's a grind for them. They don't go there with a smile on their face and say, "Hey, I'm gonna coach this kid or this uh, older guy or whatever." They good they job. are there grinding it out, kind of, and th yeah. then they're not gonna look look into ways to improve their coaching. So once again, we have this mindset. Two kind of mindset. I want to improve because I want to be become a better coach, or I just want to earn money from coaching. And also, we we have the age. Let's say all the coaches like like forty, let's say fifty years old and more, they were coached themselves as player with belief, not with science. And now we have a new generation of coach, uh, let's say 20, 25 years old. You know, now maybe uh, last year for Swiss tennis, the federation, I made my first stats conference. Let's say that maybe in the years to come, we're going to have a, a second, a third, and a fourth. And we can make this mindset into the new coach. And then it's going to be much more natural for them to use data, to use uh, other things, to use science to become better. So they will have to be more open-minded because it's part of the tendency of the coach at the moment. But the coach over 50 years old, they were totally coached on based on belief. So we cannot also tell them, ah, oh, it's bad what you do. They were coached like that. They were brought up like this. Mm. So I also understand... But it's going to change towards science for sure. Everything is changing towards science. Everything. I mean, in every field. So it's going to, tennis is the same. It's not going to change because it's tennis. Yeah, no. What do you think about the future of tennis? Like, I mean, in some countries, I don't know how it's in Switzerland, but you see uh, the growth of, of paddle in Europe and the growth of pickleball in, in the US, which I'm sure going to go into the stats field heavily as well. Uh, do you think tennis is going to thrive in the, the future or you see like there's a risk that it's going to, be a bit old-fashioned as a sport compared uh, to other yeah. sports. I mean, I think it's going to be a bit old. It's already a bit old-fashioned, but it's still beautiful to watch. Uh, the tournaments are still. I mean, be before between watching uh, what was the a paddle match in in I mean in Stockholm or, or Roland Garros, still the impact of Roland Garros, the picture of Roland Garros is much stronger. It might change, but, but I mean, it's going to take time to. I mean, I think it's going to decrease gradually, but. 
for our generation, I think for the next 40 years, I hope to live even 50, but I think that for my life, uh, it's going to be still pretty famous tennis, but it's going to decrease. I think it's already decreasing by the way, but, but we had a boom. We had a boom in the eighties. So, but then it's up to the ATP, to the WTA. That's what they're trying to make mm. it more entertaining. And do you, I think, do you also, think you you need to do that? Like I, I sometimes think these like entertainment, I wouldn't call them tricks, but like they try to change the scoring system. Yeah. They try the next gen finals and so on. Do you think that makes sense and that's the right approach? Or do you think there's other packaging you can do like with tournaments and with a, how you, you position the TV cameras and, and your yeah. stats instead of changing the rules? You know, we, we need to make a stats out of it. I mean, we need to, to know that is the younger generation likes it or not? Do we have more subscription in tennis thanks to this change? If the answer is yes, I would say that's great. If the answer is no, it means we need to, to find something else. Um, I think at least they're trying. That's for sure that, that they're trying. They're not saying, oh, nothing. They're not denying. They're not saying, oh, nothing is happening. Uh, so they are conscious that uh, the, the average age of the people watching tennis is getting older and they, that they need to find a way to attract the, the, the 20, 25, 30 years old to watch more tennis. So they're conscious as a company, once again, this is a company, they want to make money, uh, but they're conscious that it's decreasing. Uh, but that the impact, I cannot tell. We need to make studies. Uh, let's say, do we have more subscription? Um, and also, you know, when I watched the, the series uh, Drive to Survive for the F1, you know that they're going to do one for the 80... They did one this yeah. year for the 80... So that's going to help the new generation to like... I didn't like Formula One. You know what? After writing the series, I subscribed for one year to the F1. After, <laughs> to be honest with you, after six races, I was just falling asleep because it was not the same as Drive to Survive, the, the series. But it made me buy a subscription for one year of F1. And I tried to follow for two months. Then <laughs> I told you I fell asleep. I, I couldn't. But I hope that with the, the series on Netflix series that they have on uh, ATP Dultier, it's going to have a, a positive impact. Uh, so that kind of things can help, I think, a lot because that touched the young generation. They they do because I, I think, I mean, I, I was, I'm was i a chess player. Like I used to play chess professionally when I was younger. There was like... Ver- so so interest around chess and now with the streaming and the netflix series mm-hmm. uh, you know the queen's gambit everything boomed right so the last oh, two years yeah, thanks right. to covid partly like the the covid thing when people couldn't go out chess has now been booming and now it's going down a little bit again but it's it's still like bigger than it's ever been and these right. kind of netflix shows uh, they can really make an impact which is which is interesting i also, also think that COVID, covid helped tennis a bit yeah. in a way because it's a long yeah. distance <laughs> thing yeah exactly i think also also covid plus Netflix, you had a package that helped to boom. It's going to decrease again, but still, it gave, it gave a, a good impact. So I think that tennis, yes, we need this series. We need to be active in the media world, maybe even more. But I think series is the best thing at the moment. That's the tendency at the moment. We we want to relate a story uh, of a player during the year that we can follow on my sofa. Yeah, yeah. I, my my concern, like having worked in productions and and like series and 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 like written books and stuff. Uh, is that the this characters in the tennis world are a little bit too boring in most cases to make a a, a strong like uh, narrative for for a series 
maybe I'm wrong, but the, like, the feeling sometimes is that they're so packaged, like it's so they're so professional in their press conference. I mean, there's some exceptions, yeah, but but, but it's, it's like harder to make it so dramatic as like F1 when you have a team and there's money and there's some crazy managers screaming at their, the guys, you know, it's, it's like a little bit different. And uh, do you think, do you agree with that? Or do you think I'm, I'm, I shouldn't uh, be worried? It, it, it's funny about it because, you know, it's funny about it because uh, in the, during the, they were shooting the series this year, I was in a team of a player for one tournament and we had Netflix during the week. And to be honest, I'm not going to mention with whom I was, but I, I, I thought I thought after that, wow, Netflix is going to have things to put on screen. Because really in that case, I was like, wow, wow. Uh, but, but yes, I said that they have something interest, I mean, interesting that people is going to like or hate or whatever, but it's going to have an impact. It's going to, it's not going to be boring for sure. What experience. So that's good. Uh, so, but I think that also that off court, when, when you, when you do storytelling, it's all the time interesting. And, and, you know, I also want to mention something that I, I also work with an agency called edge. So my, 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 I have my private clients, but also I'm part of edge and edge is also one of our, because I'm part of them. Our strategy is to make one, one series based on players outside the top 100. Also to relate the story of this. And even I think the stories are even better outside the top 100 because we're really dealing with people, you know, money-wise, it's very difficult outside the top 100. So we are really into a real story. I mean, the story of the best, that they jump from one five-star to another five-star. Of course, we have a story to tell. But also with these players that we have from Edge, uh, we have another story to tell. Okay, I think you're spot on because I, I, when you're talking about players that have a little bit more of a of a human struggle, or maybe they like they have to drive to tournaments, and like I mean, there's these old stories like the people had to string their own rackets, they lived in a trailer. This stuff is is really fascinating. At least to me, I think it's easier to build a story than people going from like five star to five star private jets and stuff, you know. But it's but it's a different story. Between, yeah, but the difference between the two is like on on the first series you see stars. So you, you want to see your, I, I don't know who is, who is doing this series, but maybe you want to see your Kyrgios during the year. You want to see your Zverev, whatever. But but the other one, uh, you're going to have more uh, emotion about what they're living. I mean, say, let's say that, for, for instance, now I, I have an example. Uh, there are people uh, going away from Ukraine and uh, they have to come to several academies. Let's say that one of them is making it. He has a story. Uh, it, it has a much bigger story than than the one in the. So I think both can can be really really enjoyable to watch and will promote tennis. A lot of people do not understand now a bit less, but do not understand that um, outside the top hundred tennis stuff, they think it's it's just glamour everywhere. You go to Roland Garros qualification, so it's glamorous. It's only Roland Garros, huh? only the qualification. All the rest, when to, when you go to a twenty five k at the end of Serbia. Uh, there's no glamour. There's no one watching you. There is no money. Uh, so, but people do not realize. But that makes good stories. That makes yeah, yeah I agree. Well, it makes good stories. But they are professional now. I mean, in the series, I'm. So, they are professional. They're doing it in a way that is so super professional. You want to see more. You want to watch more. So I think it, they do it pretty good with tennis, top hundred or outside top hundred, like with Edge. What we're doing, uh, it's gonna be really good. Yeah, I think so. I I would, uh, as a tennis nerd, obviously be interested. But I think also if you show you show the contrast of the luxury lifestyle, and then you go to a player who's not that much worse of a player. We're talking these percentages that you described in the beginning, and 
you have a guy who lives completely different lifestyle. Like he 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 doesn't win that two percentage extra points, so he's gonna be not living that glamour life. He has to fight every day, and that's that's the interesting part of the the journey, really. Yeah, it is, and and you see, and you see a lot of family project that are very interesting. You see how much the parents are involved in a good or in a bad way, but are involved, and you and you can feel also the pressure, the money pressure. Let's say that for, for also for, uh, as part of my agency, Edge, we are funding people, players. So, okay, we give them an opportunity. But in the meantime, money means pressure. So if they don't make it with the money, it, it's extra pressure. So, I mean, we, you can have the, I mean, anyway, it's pressure that, that we fund us the money or the parents. There is a money pressure because if you are outside the top 200 or 250, a season costs you, if you want to do it well, between 40 to 150 or whatever, 200K. And, and, and the parents have to find a way to get the money or unless you are a multimillionaire, which, which exists, by the way, but, and or you are funded by an agency or you, are, you have a private sponsor. But money is a pressure. So with this pressure, you have more tears, you have more emotion, you have more joy. Oh, I made first one at Roland Garros, there's going to be a 60K coming in my wallet. So I think we have very interesting stories to do because of money, because that creates emotion. Yeah, and also I think the, the, that to get people to understand the the kind of thin line between being a success story and struggling, right? It's such yeah. like in tennis, it's it's probably one of the sports that like it's one of the sports where you make the most very, very rich millionaires, but there's so much struggle just before that line. So I think yeah. that could be interesting to people to understand the, the struggle of, of the tennis player. And also because it's an individual sport, so everything is on you, uh, you have to pay for your coach, you pay for your team, you have to do this. It, it's a lot of expense when you're a tennis player that you don't see when you you yeah. just watch TV, you know. Exactly. When you're in a soccer, on a basketball team, everything is taken into a, a they pay everything. So, yes, you, you have the whole thing. And yeah, that, that makes it fascinating, to be honest with you. I, I got passionate about that because also of the stories of the of the struggle. And, and also, I think that tennis, because tennis is still a very popular game. So the, the 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 chances to make a living out of tennis is super small. Yeah. It is super, super, super small. I mean, if maybe in other fields, like maybe soccer, maybe hockey in Switzerland, I think hockey we 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 found that was the the the, the highest percentage of success making a living. It's still small, but much bigger. And when you see all the things that you have to invest in tennis to give you this very, very small chance, uh, that's already a story. That, that's exactly, already a story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a Mount Everest that you want to climb to be top yeah. 100. To make a living out of tennis is the Mount Everest that you have to climb from day one, from the age of five, four, five, six years old until maybe 20 and you, and you make it. It's, yeah. it's huge things to achieve. And, and I, I've seen that with a lot of my friends who are like ex-pros and, and the, to make that decision where you've put invested so much time and money, your parents yeah. maybe, or or you got some investors, whatever, you invested so much time and money and you have to say, Hey, this is not working. Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're not, it, it's a, such a tough decision because you look at that, like sunk cost fallacy of, you know, like I invested so much, I can't give up, but yeah, maybe it's right, the real right. decision you have to make that say, Hey, I'm not going to make it more than this. I'm, I'm not going to reach more than 400. You know, it's not going to work. So. Yeah. But maybe the next step in that, in what I'm talking with a lot of parents uh, is to make smart choice from the start. 
you need you need to be smart in everything you, for me the parents they have to coach in a way because it costs less money and they, they have to be surrounded by experts so and and even now if you take the top 10 it's only family business more or less yeah zverev it's this shapovalov it's this Ojaliasim, his father was was a coach. Maybe then he was taken by the federation, but first he was with the, the father. Uh, Nadal, who is the uncle, uh, who has Tsitsipas with the father. I mean, that's family project. If you don't do it this way, me, I will discourage you to do it. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it saves money. Then you have the, the problem when you, you're successful then to maybe like cut the cord from the family a bit because you, you these kind of situations can be complicated when you are very successful and your family is always there. I mean, we see it in the case with Tsitsipas, for example, that it's, you know, he doesn't have it always easy dealing with his father or mother yeah. from, from the stands, you know, so then you have that. And you also seen it a lot on the WTA tour when you have difficult fathers or mothers, just yeah, yeah. making it difficult for the player to, to achieve more success or just more peace on the court. Yeah. Right. But, but also we, we see only the fight they have. I mean, because we want to see that because we sell out of it. So if there is a fight between Tsitsipas and his father, that's going to thing we're going to see in the highlights. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that they don't have maybe another kind of relationship off camera. So, and, yeah, true. And, st and still, so, but of course there are tension, but there are tension everywhere. I mean, in every family, with, if I'm dealing with my daughter with, when she's going to be a teenager, they're going to be tension. Yeah, of course. <laughs> nothing, nothing different than maybe the tension will be on. I don't want you to go out this Friday because you're going out this Saturday. And for them, the tension is like, why do you take Adidas? Because and this one give you five millions more. Another tension, another thing. I mean, tension is just part of human. I mean, and uh, they are emotional, so of course. <laughs> Yeah, it's human relations. I think you are yeah. absolutely right. What What do you think about um, Swiss tennis now that the Federer put his racket on on the shelf? Like, uh, you have some talented up and coming players. Is tennis more popular than ever in in Switzerland, or how is it doing? I don't know. I mean, I don't have the numbers. Uh, I would not say that it's more popular. It's still very popular, um, and we have a good generation coming. We have three players. Uh, Dominique Stricker, Riedi, Leandro Riedi, uh, Jérôme Kim. Uh, three, we have a, a good generation with these three and maybe other players around that could make top 200. So like uh, Bellier, Wenger, but I know them because we, I, I work with some of them. So we, we have a good generation. I mean, let's, if, but then if we, you want to compare this generation with Vavrinka and Federer, forget about it. I mean, I mean, I hope, I mean, I'm, I'm working with Dominique Stricker, for instance. I hope he's going to make it and I'm going to do everything possible on my side. But uh, the chances that he win 20 slam, if I have to bet now, I'm not sure I would bet a thousand bucks that he's going to win 20 slam. No, of course. I mean, that, that who's going to be win 20? I mean, I don't think even Alcaraz will win 20 yeah, slams, probably. So, yeah. but, but we have a good generation. Uh, I, I really believe that Stricker has a really good career. Riedi also, they can make it top 20, hopefully even even top 10 if you want to be. I mean, that's that's our goal, by the way. I cannot. But then if already they make a top 100 career, it's it's amazing. I mean, when you yep. know how difficult it is to make top 100, even if they make a living out of tennis, it's amazing. And we have three players, I think, that can make it, and maybe two more, this Bellier and maybe Wenger, another one like this that are a bit around. They also, I mean, I believe in them. They also have a chance. Then it depends on your surrounding. It depends on your motivation. It depends on so many things. But they're still fighting every day to make this top 100 happen. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and Stricker seems to have gone like uh, done some good uh, progress. Like I saw him in the the next gen yeah. finals; he was playing really well. So I think he has a promising 
uh, future. You know, it yeah, looks he, like he has the package. I mean, he, he has the forehand he ha- and he has the serve. By the way, he has the serve, and now he starts to have the forehand, and uh, and he has the mindset. He has a good team around him. Uh, once again, the parents take uh, a, a lot of place, and that, and I think it's good. So he has, for me, he has a good package. That's also one of the one of the the reason I was very interested in working with, with them, because they, they have a package. It's not like it, it's built. Mm. Uh, and I like, Structure, I, yeah. You know, I really like to 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 be. I, I was at the next gen with them, by the way, and I really like to. Uh, it's a really good project, and he's a Swiss. I mean, that's the the only Swiss player I work with. So. Yeah, it's nice. No, but I think I think this is also highlights the importance of the team, right? So how important Very tennis important. is an individual sport, but to be individually successful on this high level, you need to have a solid foundation, a solid team, coach, parents, uh, support, whatever. Yes. Like it's yeah. it's not it's not easy otherwise, you know. The, the parents for me are that that the coach like them or not, the parents are everything in the project. They are the one funding it. They are they are the one. Uh, putting all the energy into it. Sometimes they are a lot coaching, and but even if they don't coach on court, they coach off court with the of behavior course, yeah. of the son or the daughter. They are super, super important, and we have really to work to work with them and never against them. If a coach is not ready to work with the parents, don't take the project because you're going to have a lot of of problems. Parents, yeah, exactly. Key, uh, key number one. They they. Coaching, of course, everything is important, but the parents are much more important than what we think. I mean, for is that me, what you you think you see a lot of like coach ch- changes now, like on like for example Raducanu or on the WTA tour? It seems to be more uh, coach switching, and I agree with you in, when you said in the beginning that having consistency uh, helps you develop like understanding of where you're going, how you're building some some structure. You don't have to think about who's your coach or changing coaches because you have already that structure. And and it seems to have helped players at least who pick their coaches quite carefully, like like the three goats, for example, but even guys who who had their coach for a long time. There are a few examples, you know, the Potro and, and whoever. But um, and it seems like it's quite harmful because it shows that, like you said, that you're a bit lost. What are you doing? Like, why you keep changing the coach? Yeah. Uh, do you said- think it's a part apparent situation that it's not agreed upon them? What is this the right decision for us as a team? Or, but this is a, on the WTA that we see this this change of coach. On the ATP, you don't see it. First of exactly. all, it, yeah. it's a woman. I mean, it's a woman thing. I don't want to be racist or whatever. It's much more woman thing than than man thing. And on the men, I mean. Uh, this year, I talked with one of the, the coach on the WTA. He worked with four different ones. And he's not the only one. It's just changing. And every time they say, oh, that's a new project. Uh, the, the problem is there are less money on the WTA uh, also. So, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean, and, and usually the, the, the father control a lot, much more the project with the, the daughter. There is a, yeah. a kind of protection. Uh, so much more complicated. And also, you know, the difference between, I mean, that's my point of view, the difference between the girls and the boys on tour, they're much more forced girls on tour than forced boys. If you're forced to play tennis, you're never going to make it as a boy. Never. That's my point of view. Almost 0% chance. Mm. If you're a forced girl, you, you still have a chance to make it top 100 because your father was forcing you every day to play and it was not really your things. So now this, this, this think at this girl starting to have million contract. Because we're talking about this Andrescu, Anisimova. Uh, yeah. They have million contracts behind. Uh, Bouchard. Of course, the motivation goes down. You, you succeed. So then, of a sudden, maybe your, your inner motivation is lower. So and, and because it's not your fault, because you're a superstar, you change coach. 
So that could be one, I mean, it could be one of the explanation among others that this change of coach, for yeah, me, yeah. the inner motivation from the girl is lower. No, I, I've seen I've seen it also like when sometimes you have um, you're hitting with with talented uh, girls, fifteen, sixteen, or who are pushing for the tour. And then sometimes I've I've talked to to them, and it's quite clear that the parents are forcing them to play tennis, and they're not. I mean, they don't hate it, but it's close. Like it, it's they they are not on their own will playing tennis professionally, and it's a it's a sad thing, you know. You 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 see that in their body language, they don't enjoy it. Uh, but they feel like now they're so invested, their parents are so invested, and it's a job. So yeah, they yeah. will keep doing it, you know. But I think you, you can connect that with the change of coach for being one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, inner motivation. Yeah. You're not motivated, it's not your fault, I change. Uh, because my father thinks this one is better. Because exactly, my father yeah. doesn't trust anyone. Uh, I, I want to be good with my... It could be. I mean, I, I think that every... Girl is different, of course. Every girl has his story, of course. But there could be a global tendency uh, of that. That's that's yeah. what I think. And in the boys, you don't see it. I mean, yeah. in the boys, you see relationship of less than one year. It's less common. I mean, even rare. I would yeah. say even rare. And, and it's girls, it's, it's important world. to build that relationship. It's it's a very important one. When you deliver your analysis and your data to players, do you give different formats depending on the player what they want, or is do you have like a, a standardized way you work, uh, a template kind of, or do some players need more of an explanation or some less? Yes, I, I have a standard. Then I can adapt it to my players, but still I have my standard because uh, through all my studies, I decided that that was the key points. And, and usually all the, everybody's telling me, yes, it's, it's really good. And they don't ask me for more because I go, I go straight to a couple of points which are key for me. I mean, it's still 25 page report. It's not like two page. It's a 25 page report. And I go straight to the comparison I want to have between two kinds of stats. And uh, they don't ask me for more because with that, we have already uh, <laughs> enough to work. Then there are specific coach that they want more details. And if I have them, I give them. If I don't have them, I say, sorry. And sometimes I have to ask another company, especially for the speed and the movement, I have to ask another company to deliver me uh, what I need. But in all the case, with all the people I worked, pretty, I have one coach who wants a lot of different uh, statistics and some of them I don't have and wants to change all the time. There is one of a top 10, of a top 10. So that's it. He's also a coach of a top 10. He wants everything perfect. And I try to deliver most of the time what he wants. And if I don't have it, I say, we need to go here to find it. So I can use other statisticians if I don't have that. We, we, we also do this kind of exchange sometimes. Oh, that's nice that you have like a, it's a, is it like a community in a little way that you are? Well, we are the first one, you know, we are the, we are the pioneer and we call each other uh, the frenemies. We are friend and enemy at the same time because we face each other many times during the year with my strategy against your strategy. But at the, at the, at the same time, we are friends because we are the first one on tour. We are maybe now um five or six there was craig o'shaughnessy of course that was the the, the pioneer the first one known on by the atp tour uh, i am good friend with shane leonage i think maybe from the yeah USA. i recognize the name yeah, yeah yeah there's also mike james working at Moratoglu now and and there was also a chipriot i don't know his name and there was also golden set analytics so we are uh, maybe other companies that are, i still don't know them but we are all good friends I and mean, when we meet uh we're not in a war First, I wanted to be honest with you. First, I was in war with them because that's my mind. That's my mindset. And they were one of them were just super nice with me. And I said, okay, and we're gonna be frenemies. 
And, and actually we get on really well. We have a beer from time to time and, and we talk about stats or other things. But uh, you know, we, we are writing stories of our field uh, of, of stats in the tennis fields. So they made me understand that we had to be together and I totally accept it now. And I think I am the more social of the of the five, by the way. So I totally embrace the socials and I really appreciate to see them with all the slam, like Mike, Shane, Craig, uh, we are good for, and uh, and Ben from Golden Set. Uh, we are good friends now. Uh, and that's I'm nice. Really yeah, it's, it. yeah, yeah, and and you can yeah build uh, each other and learn from each other. I think that is important. Uh, we we in still any, have our secrets. Industry. You know, of course. Still, all the time the limits. No, this one I'm not going to show you. I said, mm, thank you for. The, we still uh, and we and we and we are also playing with it. But we are. I mean, overall, we are all super happy that now our field is recognized as being useful on tour. And this is something we fought for it. I mean, every, maybe I, I've, I've been doing a bit more stats than some of them. They have been eight years in the business, or, or but they all be stug, struggling to, to reach that level. I know we were the first one. Nobody believed in us. Now people start to believe in us and we got the first place. That was yeah. the price. And we paid the price before, especially me with 12 years. Now we have the first, the first spot and we don't want to, to lose them, to be honest. I'm going to fight all, I'm not going to lose my spot and the advantage I took over the other one, impossible. I mean, the newcomer, I mean. Yeah, this, no, no, of course, it's going to be an interesting uh, growth of the, of, the whole, uh, of the whole movement, I would say. Do you, when you work with players, like, do you travel a lot with, to, to certain tournaments or do you like watch a lot of the matches after the match or live or, or like, how do you, how close do you keep track of, of not just bringing out the data, of course, that that is your job, but also, for your sake, looking at at how they play and the match and the, the stuff like that. So uh, my my goal um, is to go to tournaments to see them. So that, that that's for sure. That's my that's my that's part of my job now. I'm I'm also paid for that. Uh, but you know, the, also the things like I started to 2019 August 2019. We had Corona 2020. And I was promoting myself between 2019. It was the beginning. I had one, two clients. Uh, and then one and a half year was nothing. So 2022 for me was taken to, to go back on the tour. And, and you know what? To say hi to my clients. I, I had a client like Buskova. I was working for one and a half year with her. I had never seen her. And I say, hi, Mary. This is me. This is Fabrice. We, we made some Zoom call, but we mm -hmm. never see each other physically. So 2022 for me was taken to say hi, uh, to introduce myself as a human being to all the people I worked with. And then 2023, my goal is to, to go to tournaments with them, to know them better as a team, to just to observe them, to be with them. Only one or two days give me information that oh, maybe this coach likes better this thing. And I can adapt. I think I can adapt to them better. And also during this, this week, let's say I spend one week with a player, uh, they can also tell me how to improve my product. And, and so that's my goal. I started doing it in 2022, but that's my goal for 2023, that my relationship with my clients is good, healthy, that they know that I'm a hard worker, that I'm here for them, and that they, they see me physically also. It's very important. I'm not a computer. I'm a human being uh, doing statistics. I'm not a statistics. You know, no, exactly. I think that's important for anything. I think that what I've seen, I mean, there's obviously a big like work from home trend over the whole world, like from COVID that people now are working remotely and that's fine. But I, I think we should not forget the human interaction and also being able to yeah. see uh, energy up close and like the dynamics of a team or, you know, how even how they play sometimes on the court makes it different than, than watching it on TV or on a stream. 
Uh, I, I think that's definitely valuable. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. Exactly, because we don't we don't have to forget that coaching is human. We are coaching. I mean, I use that to coach. I use stats to be a better coach, not to be a better stats. I all the time I said I don't want to. Ha- I want to have the best stats to be the best coach, not. To, I mean, sometimes statistician they're looking to get the best stats, and me no. I want to have the best logic, the best theories to make me a better coach or to help my play. And so it's social skills in the end. Yeah, yeah. and you're skills. the bridge between the data and the players, so you need to convey exactly what the data tells you. And you can obviously interpret it in different ways. And you have to then give the information that you think will make the biggest difference in their game and to win more matches. That's really the the end goal, right? And you also have a way of saying it. Humble, hard worker, uh, polite uh, is the key words I try. I mean, I never go to a team or to a player and say, hey man, why do you do that? No, it's like, I think there is something here to explore. What do you think about this number? Uh, you know, that's that's our job to, to adapt to them and not the opposite. The players and the coach do not adapt to the stats. We adapt to them the best we can with numbers. It's different. Uh, oh, that's my philosophy. And, uh, and and as I told you, I think that's my strength. So uh, th- I will never change that. I, I'm, I was a coach. I will remain a coach, but a coach using stats and not a coach on court, but a coach with a computer. Different. But... <laughs> This is yeah, I, I think also it's, it's so important to have been a coach to understand yes. uh, also how to work with players, how the game is built. Exactly. And and uh, I mean, us, if I take the 5-6, we, we were all former coach. I mean, I was I was coach on the on the WTA. I, I was, but my highlights were the qualification of the Grand Slam with the player. But also I won national title uh, many times. So, so we, I was already, I think, a good coach. So, and that helped me a lot to be better with statistics, of course. And sometimes what we can criticize to people using stats is if they are only statistician, because the statistician will, will, will not feel the game the way I can feel as a coach. And even if it's to give that to another coach, I still have the feeling. Mm. And, and, and you and, know how, how it's going to be used, like in a way, or yes. what's the good way to and use. And then it depends what kind of human being you are, as easy as that. Uh, there, there are people much more arrogant than other ones. Uh, humility, I mean, that's the way you are. I mean, uh, and this, you can be a good coach, but you're an asshole. You could be a good coach and you're super nice. How do you get your name and, and business out? Do you, do the players talk among themselves or do the coaches see you around? Or like if, if someone gets interested into data and like, how do they find you and, and no, me, how does it spread? Find, I mean, usually they, they don't find me. I, I am, I am the worst in terms of marketing. Uh, I think, I, yeah, <laughs> we, we can rate every people on the tour base, but in terms of marketing, I'm the worst. So people, like, let's say, I know that DDSA and Morato Glue with Mike James, they promote themselves much more than me. Mm. So that's the way they can be known. Me, I, I want to be known because of the quality of my work and because of my identity as a human being. It takes more time. But at the end, I think that will pay. That, that's my strategy. And still, I don't like to do it. I mean, uh, I accepted to do the, the, the podcast because, but uh, even even when I'm doing it, I'm sorry to know that is it not already too much things that I'm telling about me and about my strategy and my secrets? And uh, I mean, I I think I like, I mean, I I told you a lot, but I I like also to be secret and to be in the shade, uh, in the shadow that nobody, and and that's maybe my strategy. But so for me, that people know me, of course, I have podcasts, these kind of things, but uh, that this way. But you know, also when I when I wrote the book, I wrote the book. It was published in two thousand and eighteen, 
that was the, in French. It's a book in French. So if, if people is, are interested and you don't speak French, sorry, you're not going to read it. But that was Is it on uh, Amazon or somewhere you can find it? Uh, Amazon it is. It's uh, edited by Amphora, which is the, the biggest uh, ed edition company in, in, in France uh, for sport. So it's, it's a really good. I mean, I was lucky that they say, yes, we, we're going to edit your book. And I thought back, back then in 2018, that's going to help me to have maybe a player on the tour. To be honest, zero. Zero, 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 zero thing. It was another thing that makes me a uh, breakthrough. Uh, but now, and and also the, the site, I told you the tennis profiler site was a way of showing my work uh, that maybe people could be interested in me. Zero client. So the, the, the way I try to advertise myself with, I mean, with huge things, because, uh, you know, to post something of you, it, it takes you two seconds. To write a book about game styles took me 10 years. Yeah. And, and to write my and to do my uh, internet site took me 10 years plus three years of making it. Uh, and and I thought that would, would give me more clients, which was not the case. But still, I, I, I found a way now to be a bit more known. And to be honest, I work with a lot of people, but also thanks to the agency Edge that really uh, trust in me. And uh, we're very thankful to them. They trust in me for all the analytics part for the agency and also for the coaching part. So I can build my own team for the agency. So it took me more time maybe for some things, but that's that's my way to 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 be, my marketing way is the quality, I think. That's I think that's quality. that's a good uh, approach. I, I, I subscribe to a similar approach. I mean, like I, I like to work. And then if you do something long enough and well enough, usually good things happen. Like I think you don't need to push or make it non-natural like you can let it organically happen but you need patience because sometimes it takes a longer time right and, and the blah blah the blah blah people as you could tell they don't live they don't last long no because you, you, you can i mean i'm not saying that they lie i'm not saying but uh, uh but when you do too much i mean every i mean you can say that every coach or whatever would do too much with instagram and everything most of the people they don't like him he doesn't know. I mean, he's a good or, 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 he, or he goes extreme. Of course, he's, he's more seen by all the players. Of course, he's going to have more opportunity. But by the other half of the player, they don't like him. And this, oh, I, I, yeah. this is something I don't want to happen to me. Of course, it's going to happen. But I want to minimize <laughs> the, the probability. I want, to, that, I want to be liked and recognized as a good guy, good human being, good statistician, good whatever you want by the, the vast majority of the people. That's my goal. If I don't succeed, at least I would have tried. But, 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 but that's my goal for, for sure. And their goal is to be seen more yep. than deliver quality. So it's totally different things with me. Yeah, I think that's a good philosophy. I, I subscribe to that too. Do you work with any doubles players and how is doubles data different? Like how, how do you do you work in a different way with doubles or do you see different patterns? The, the thing with, with double, uh, so the, the, the story about double is like, uh, I specialized in single, WTA, ATP, only singles. And when I had a chance to show my work on the tour, it was in August, 2019 in Montreal, I met a um, double coach and he told me, oh, I'm looking for stats for doubles. Uh, I'm very interested. And I told him, I don't know nothing about double, nothing. I mean, nothing. I, ne I had never watched a double match in my life, almost I mean, like this randomly, but never analyzed one. And he gave me his ideas. I knew how to build the program on Excel because I, I, I did it for singles. And he gave me his ideas. I followed his ideas. I add mine. 
And I built a program in August. And then I got the contract with Mahu, Nicolas Mahu for doubles. Uh, came three months later, but the coach was also friend with him. So he could maybe talk with him. And they, and they gave my chance for the Masters uh, 2019 that Mahu and Herbert won without losing a set. And that was the first matches I had analyzed all the opponents. Uh, so, and that was the first time I was working with double. And so I could find tendencies. I hope it, it helped. I mean, the result was good. So I was really happy. Maybe a bit of chance, maybe stats, uh, we will never know. But um, but uh, that, that was how I started with double, but I started in 2019. And and now the next year, I'm going to work with another double player, still with Mario, but with another one. And uh, he's really into statistics. And I'm really curious to know what is going to be at the end of the year or at the end of the two years. Because for me, he has a big potential and he loves stats. So he takes everything, every information for him is important. And that's the kind of people now I want to work with. People who say, okay, every detail is important. Let, let's dig deep. And uh, I have that now for doubles. I have this, this guy and still Mahu, which we, which was the first one to believe in stats. And together, I mean, together, I was with him when he won two Masters plus one Roland Garros with him in the team. There was coronavirus. I was at home. Shit. That was bad. Eh. But I was, I was preparing every matches for these three huge titles. So it's different uh, also about, about the way uh, uh, men's double is very, very uh, closed action. It's serve plus one. It goes... So where the guys serve, where the guys return, do the guy poach? Is it uh, eye, eye formation, normal formation? It's very close. There's no rallies, almost no rallies. So we had to build it this way to get the information very quick in the rally, where to serve, where is returning, uh, do I have to poach, which uh, game play works better against them. In singles, we have more game style. Uh, in double, less. There are game styles, but less. And, as, and I'm still not an expert. So I've been working for doubles for three years. I think maybe in three or four years, I'm going to start to become an expert in double. Still learning, still learning from uh, from the guys, from what they, I'm still not an expert. So I, I'm not going to say much more about double because I know a couple of things, but not good enough to to to, uh, to tell you more. No, I was thinking it makes sense for um, extra sense for to understand like statistics and, and ideas, because like you said, it's pretty close and where you serve at what point in what formation and and like the tactics are are much more important than in doubles i mean it's always important in tennis but in doubles it's really like win or lose with the tactics like yeah. if you if you cuz you have to as a team identify like how do we beat these guys what should we do at this point at this point at this point it's so strategic the game so i think it could be an interesting uh, yes. connection to to statistics yeah. but but before you know also it's because of the also maybe money wise less money in double so only the best of the best can afford it still it's a new thing but let's say that uh, but you know also something that i like is like when you when i started with my first clients with stats i knew I knew because I could I could rate my performance that we had an edge. I could just say the performance of my player was better than average. So and then there are this year there are more people working with stats. My per, my own performances decreased. They are still better. They're still over above average, but not as much as the first year. In double, I have an, with my so in double I have an edge that not a lot of people are still working with stats. So I have an edge with the first players who's going to say yes to the to the process. Because we, they're going to have things that the other one do not have. Then it's going to be more and more players. And also with my agency, Edge, we are a lot working with girls between 100 to 300. 
And at that level, no one has that because it's far too expensive. And as we talked before, they cannot afford that. No, so of course, we yeah. also have an edge with them to prepare more the matches and to start. So when, when let's say, when the, the, the field is empty, uh, stats has a big edge at the moment to have direct result. When everybody's going to use stats, uh, what we say, what is next? And for me, what is next is the relationship you build with the clients and the more into depth that we go. Not all the teams now that work with stats go really into the details. Next year, also, I have another player that I cannot tell the name, but is really, really into the stats. Every every percent is important for, for him. Every percent. We're not talking about. So for one percent here and there for him means a lot. And I'm very curious to know how we can work together on every detail and bring him to the next step. So yeah, I, have, I mean, the more into it you are, the more fun for you, I guess, it is to work with because he's going to be more open to listening. Or that's, yeah. and that's now, it. now I have the chance that, you know, when when I had to break through the market, everybody will give me, uh, will say, yes, let's work together. I take it. I don't have any, I, I want to live on the tour. That was my dream. So everybody a bit interested in me, let's go for it. Now that I have a lot of clients and I make a decent living out of stats, I have the luxury to be able to choose a bit more the project I want to work with. And, and, and this is much more fun, as you said, because we can go into the details, that, into more my mindset. I, I, have, I like the details. I like to dig deep. How can we make it to improve this and that? And now I have more uh, clients this way. But I still respect the other one that are just using me for, and I, I don't really interact with them. Uh, but now I'm starting to be more interested, of course, maybe lower player, lower level player, but I think that we can do something great together. And my role is a bit bigger. I don't want to be in the front page, no, but I can just uh, get carried away a bit more, trip a bit more, we say. Do you, um, do you have any like say or take in your analysis towards like how they integrate that into their training? Because I guess like if they see, okay, this guy has a, uh, has a, like a weak return on on the kick out wide, for example. Like they will work on that in training. That's what I've seen like before. Um, but do you have any say there, or do you sometimes join the training session and you say, okay, I, I would to would wait to work on this is this? Or... Uh, so I mean, the first phase was I have nothing to do with the training, and, and the coach put me out of the training. But once again, we have to remember that 2020 21, nobody was on the tour except the coach. And, and me also, I'm working with multiple clients. So I cannot be, let's say, I cannot be with you and your team on court. And tomorrow I'm facing you with my other team. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it's it's delicate. It's not like, um, so, but but more and more, and especially with the, with the girls we found with Edge, I will have this role also to be on court. And we say, because we found you, because you're part of the process, we want this, this, and this to be executed a bit more. You don't have as much freedom. I mean, Let's say if you as a private client, you, you you pay my service. I mean, in a way, do whatever you want with my service. You want me to be on court, I'm on court. You don't want me to be on court, I'm not on court. But if now you're part of Edge and we are funding you, as Edge, we can tell you, this is part of the process or we don't fund you. So I'm going to be on court. <laughs> is they're going to be forced to have me on court. Then I'm going to try to be nice, but they're going to be forced to have maybe me more often on court. If an amateur is playing, like I, I record a lot of my sessions because I'm I'm testing rackets and, and I'm doing videos for YouTube. 
But I guess there's a point for amateurs to use apps like Swing Vision, which I'm sure you heard of, like that that gives you some some data that a, a, an amateur can use, like saying, okay, I'm hitting 60% forehands. I, yeah. I don't know. Is that a way forward or do you need more like better so software to get that? Yeah, they, they still need to improve. I mean, the software is good, uh, but it's more, we, we, I don't know if in English it's the word gadget. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more gadget than something effective. That's my point of view now. I know that... Uh, uh, one of the best statisticians in the data scientists in the world is, is helping them. So they're going to make it better, obviously. Uh, so maybe if the product improve, uh, yes, maybe can it can be something effective, but still, not, I, I'm not sure that now. But I mean, anyway, to have a, a, some information is already better than I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. No, because for the pros, they have all their matches stats and like the tracked, but for like an amateur who's advanced player, for example, they need to have their own stats. So they that would be one way to at least get some something, you know, out of it. But it's it's uh, probably in the future, there will be a very advanced software tracking. Yeah, trying. I mean, I know that, um, for instance, I think Moratoglu is trying. But for what I heard, I mean, I'm, I'm not the, the best, maybe the best place to know, but it's not, it's not really working. Maybe I'm wrong. Huh? Once again, I'm not interested in that in that field, to be honest. But I, I don't have any consequence of the swing vision or the moratorium what they're doing to the people around me in Switzerland. And no, from what so, I yeah. heard, I didn't hear that many positive things. Mm. More negative than positive in terms of it's going to help you. Maybe I'm, but maybe they're gonna they're still gonna improve the service, the the product, the app, whatever. So uh, in the next year, I think it's going to be very useful for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, this this whole job. field will grow and grow, I guess. And then your importance uh, as analysts and performance analysts, I think, will will obviously improve. And then the more players talk about it, the more it's on podcasts or, or exactly. you know, talk also, about the medium. Yeah, exactly. That's also that we all accept. I mean, accept. we are we are happy to, to do podcasts from time to time to talk about our job, to, that people get conscious. Yeah. It's existing, first of all. <laughs> it exists. We're not like... A, and and two that it's useful, so uh, and we yeah, but I mean right now there there are still some margin for new people to come in the business, but the business is already it's all new but already closing. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be ten thousand companies doing it. Uh, it's, no, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I have many requests. How do I get? How do I get in the field? Uh, it's very complicated, very very very. I mean, very complicated to enter. If you start now with statistics in tennis, very complicated to be on tour. I mean, people are dreaming, you know, they want to be on tour in two weeks. It took me 15 years. So it's like, uh, guys, you need, you need to work hard and still, but they are opening, but you need to be smart and work hard. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good, good message also because the tennis world, uh, it's not that easy to make money in tennis and and to, to do it, and which is a lot of people's dream, whether it's as a coach, yeah. Uh, performance analyst, trainer, uh, or content media person, whatever it, it's. I, I know it from from personal yeah. view that like a lot of people love tennis, want to work in tennis, but you require some really clever thinking on how you actually make it happen because it tennis is a it's a big sport, but it's not like a, as big as football, for example. So you have yeah. to have a bit of a reasonable mind and, around. Yeah, it. And you need to work hard. I mean, everything you want to achieve, you need to work hard. I mean, all the players who make it top hundred, they work hard. We have yep. to do the same on the side. I, you know, I always took my job as a tennis player. I say, if the tennis player has to invest money and time to become top 100, me, 
as an analyst, as a statistician, I have to invest money and time. And I went to many tournaments. I paid my I paid my flight. I paid everything. I went to players. I paid my flight. I, I, I gave my work to many challenger players. And I was working four hours a day only for myself. I trained myself in statistics as a pro player. And I did it for 12 years. And the, writing the book at the end was for me some kind of doctora. Uh, you say a PhD. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so that people sometimes, they, 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 they forget the hard work. I, I didn't reach that level uh, for no reason. Uh, I, I put all the chances uh, for me and I worked fucking hard for 12 years. And sometimes when, when they talk to me, they, they think it's going to be easy. And I say, guys, I, I can explain you my story. But they never call me back after because there was just, maybe they received like an atomic bomb in their face because they, they, they thought it was much easier than that. And, and they felt how crazy I was about it. It was an obsession for me to have success on the ATP tour. It was not like something, uh, oh, it's a fun. No, it was an obsession. I wanted it. And I knew that if I don't do the maximum, I'm not going to get it. So I, I think I, that I, is true for most things. Like you, you need to be almost, I mean, passionate is maybe not enough. Like the obsession is, is maybe the better word. Because if you don't put in all those hours, all those dedication, all that dedication, you're not going to get where you want to be. And I think a lot of people today, they go on social media and they see the result and they don't know the work behind it. So, so well, it gives you a false sense of like, ah, this was pretty easy. I can do it. You know, that's why we need to talk about it. That's why also this part has to be talked. And when, I mean, every time we contact every person that contacted me, I had a meeting with him. I talked with him. I answer LinkedIn everything. I mean, I'm, I don't say that I had 10,000, but I have maybe a hundred people. Mm. Every time I took the time to explain to them to say, and, and also to say, yeah, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. It's difficult. I'm going to tell you the truth with a smile, uh, not lying, but it's difficult. If you don't, I mean, we say in French, if you don't put your balls on the table, you're not going to make it. You, you have to invest. You have to take risk. You have to devote everything. You have to, I mean, me, to, to be honest with you, for 12 years in Switzerland, I didn't have enough, I, I had enough money to survive. Uh, I mean, I, I made choices. Mm, I mean, I, I had the chance that my parents could help me with a couple of things. That mm. They were wealthy enough to help me. But I, I I made a chance. I made a choice that all when all my friends were making three four times more money than me, I was sticking to my plan. So it's an investment. Yeah, and, and it's also it it comes out of passion, right? Because you know totally. what you want to do, and then you need to totally. dedicate that. And I think the reward when you find a way to make a living with what you do is is like with a smile on your face. I think that's so rewarding that it's worth the sacrifice. It's living the dream. I mean, I, I am living the dream full percent now. 100%, 200% now, because I have my private clients with uh, with that. And I have this project now with Edge, the agency, which put me back into also coaching, making a, a performance team together. So I, I, I mean, it, it, now, to be honest with you, what I'm living now is above the expectation I had when I started 20 years ago. I never thought I could reach something as high as I, what I'm reaching. I mean, I my dream was to survive from the tour, which means... If you can make a very small living and to be on the tour, I signed, I would have signed it directly. And now I'm making much more money. I mean, much more money than expected uh, with 20 projects at the same time. And I love this. So I, I'm just realizing that Fabrice, it, it goes beyond what I expected, but it's hard work. But once again, I know from where I came, I know everything I did, every, every people around me, all my friends, they are super happy for me because they knew how much I was working hard and nobody believed in me. They said that that's the geek. 
no, you tennis, that's the near in front of his computer. And I was like, I don't mind. I'm obsessed. I know I'm going to make it. And, and, and now, I mean, it means that if you work hard with obsession, everything is possible because I you know there's no pro players around where I live. There are almost no pro players. There was Vavrinka living close to where I live, but Vavrinka was untouchable for me. It's not like in France or in Spain or maybe in in the in other, in Florida. You have many pro players around you. Making a career like I did in Switzerland is is unique because we don't. Everybody in Switzerland wants to do something easy, an easy job to get good money, and they don't want to take the risk. So I mean, what I mean by that is like I took, I made the choice, I took the risk. And I, I accept it, and and I did everything I could with being trying to be smart, and and after twelve years, <laughs> twelve years. So you know, sorry for that. But what I said is that you know, after the twelve these twelve years, I had charted one million point manually, one million. I reached one million without lying, and now I'm one point three million. So do do one million point. Do or I mean, what I say to the guys. Already chart manually a thousand, uh, a ten thousand points, and then a hundred thousand points, and me, I, I charted one million, and I'm like, people say you were you were crazy, and I say yes, I was I was obsessed, but, but because I knew at the end I wanted to be one of the best in what I'm doing, and maybe that's maybe why what I reached now, being one of the best in my field, and now I have all the benefit from it, but I'm still working hard. I mean, exactly. I worked three hours before talking to you. Now I have a call. Then I go to, I mean, I'm working 12 hours a day, Saturday, Sunday included. Yeah. But that, that's, because, there are no shortcuts in life. Like, yeah, yeah. And if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work as much as it does exactly. if you sit in an office and you do something you don't like, for example. Exactly. You know, all the time I felt privileged to, 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 to wake up every morning and to do what I like, even though I was not earning money. I was not earning enough to survive for me and my family because I had to give tennis lesson on the side, but I felt already privileged. I said, what the chance you have Fabrice to wake up this morning and start three matches and you can do it. And this afternoon, okay, I, I give two or three hours of tennis lesson because I need to pay the bills, but I was, I felt already privileged. And now that my passion gives me more than the salary I would have expected, I mean, I mean, what can I tell you? I'm just super happy. <laughs> let's yeah. let's end on that very happy note. I I am um, inspired by your story. I think it, it's great, and I also think that people listening, I hope that they really uh, take something very very useful out of it. That like the passion leads to something big, yeah. whatever it is in life. I think it, it's very nice to hear that the story works out, and then there's a way yeah. to work with something you love. You know, I think yeah, my, my story goes beyond statistics for sure. And I think, I, you know, we talked one and a half hour together. I never talked about stats in the in the end. I think the story when you when you work hard for something is something also that could be can influence people in other fields than tennis. Yeah, and also I think the story is like we talked about Netflix. The story is everything. Like the story yeah. is what yeah. makes people watch a tennis match for five hours, exactly. uh, and is what makes the Formula One documentary better than the actual Formula One because the, the, <laughs> there's the, when there is a race, there is no story. But when you see the people behind the race, there's a story. And that's why you captivates you, not, not the actual race in itself, right? And this is exactly what, as we said, that's the tendency from now. 2020, we like the storytelling. We are 100%. Maybe in 10 years, we're going to be more into tradition again uh, with simpler things. And we never know. We never know. We're going to change anyway in 10 years. But at yeah, the yeah, moment, exactly. that, that's what works. So let's use it for tennis. Thank you, Fabrice. It was very nice talking to you. Good luck on your uh, your day and your meetings, and uh, we keep in touch.
Yes, with pleasure.